In this simple and practical message, we learn the importance of studying God's Word. We also look at some readily available tools that we can use to study the Word. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So must we. Hold your Bible high up in the air and uh, say this out loud, bold and strong with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ. And a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. Studying God's word is... um, one of the most important things we can do as believers are uh, taking time to study God's Word. And uh, this morning, today, and next Sunday, in a two-part series, we're going to talk about some practical things on how to study the Word of God. How do we study God's Word? How do we dig into it? I, I, I trust that many of us are already reading our Bibles you know, maybe you read it in the morning or you listen to an audio Bible on your way to work or, uh, you know, you do it at night before you go to sleep or you read your devotional. So I trust many of us are spending time just reading the Bible, going through it, um, and, and, and we're exposed to the Word of God. But now, how do we get into studying the Word? And that's what we want to talk about, just some practical things so that all of us can learn how to study the Word of God. Now, Here's our objective in learning how to study the Word of God. Our objective is not the accumulation of information. Right? See, that's a big problem, which I don't like. And I'm just expressing my opinion. This is not, a, you know, not the Word of God. Which I don't like with our educational system. Our educational system is so focused on the accumulation of information. And we equate information to education. And that's not true. Because you can accumulate a lot of information, but true education is, how does that change you? And that's learning. That's discipleship in the Bible. Discipleship in the Bible is not about how much you know. It's about how much you have been changed. How much you have been transformed by what you've learned. Jesus said, it is enough for the disciple to be like his Master. So who's a disciple? Who's somebody who's becoming like the master. That's undergoing a life transformation, becoming more and more like Jesus. So we think a disciple is someone who knows a lot of information about the Bible, who knows a lot of stuff about Jesus. No, that just means you're a well-informed person. That doesn't mean you're a disciple. A disciple is somebody who's saying, his lifestyle is going to be my lifestyle. I'm going to become like him. Amen? So true education is 
Yes, you're learning, but that learning has to result in change of life. It's got to make you do something. Be more useful. Maybe turn that knowledge into skill. Where you earn money. Or do stuff like that. That's real education. Amen? Getting back to your subject here. How do we discover God's Word? So the purpose here this morning on learning how to study God's Word is not just so that we can all get more information about the Bible. But the end, end result is that my life gets changed through my studying. That my life becomes more and more like Jesus. Okay, that's the main objective. Now, we know, just to begin with, let's look at some scriptures. We're familiar with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The Bible tells us all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Everything in it, the historical record, the narratives, people whose names you find in the Bible, everything in all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it. He put it all together for us. Of course, he used human agents, but he put it together for us. It's inspired by God. And it continues, it, that passage continues, it is useful or it's profitable for doctrine, which is for teaching, for reproof, which is to give us conviction, uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that we may be fully equipped for every good work. So the scripture is given to equip us to do something, to become something in life. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, the Bible reiterates this. It says that no prophecy of scripture came of any private interpretation. That means, you know, nobody went up to the high hill, sat down there and said, okay, I'm going to write 66 books and just came up with his own ideas. That's not it. It's not of any private inter interpretation. It's not the imagination of some religious man. But it says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the holy so this was written by people who were moved by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the original author of the Bible. And for us, for us to learn the Bible, the best teacher, therefore, is the Holy Spirit. He's our best teacher. Now it is true that, you know, we listen to men and women of God who preach and teach the Word of God. That's good. But the best teacher is the Holy Spirit. So you and I, when we study the Word of God, must go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, please teach me the Word of God. So why do we study? Why do we need to study the Word? And then we'll talk about some practical things on how to study God's Word. Why study? I just want to give you four simple reasons. Uh, you can come up with many more reasons on why we need to study the Word. First, we study the Word so that we can rightly divide the words. Second Timothy 2 and verse 15, Paul tells Timothy... Be diligent to present yourself as a worker who's not ashamed. So you're submitting yourself to God as an instrument in His hands, and you're not, you know, you're not ashamed. And He says, as part of this, rightly divide the word of truth. That means I must correctly dissect, break it down, break the word of God to bring it to my understanding. I must rightly divide the word of truth. See, God's word is without error. But if I make a mistake in the way I interpret it, and then it will result in me applying it incorrectly, I could get into trouble. The problem is not in the word. The problem is in my interpretation and application of that word. Are you with me? 
So, but some of us say, but I've been very sincere. You could be very sincere and be sincerely wrong. Just because you're sincere doesn't make what you're doing correct. Amen? No offense. We value sincerity. We have to be sincere. But there is something more important here. Now we need to correctly divide the word. Correctly understand the word of God. So that we don't misapply the truth. Secondly, why study the word? So that we can know God for who he really is. In John 5 verse 39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The scriptures are telling us about Jesus. So we want to know him. One of the most important ways is for us to search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Because they are telling us about the Lord himself. So search the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Examine it. Get into it. Because they're telling us about the Lord. Third reason is to validate what we are being taught. You know, with the explosion of information all over the world, uh, there are some disadvantages. You're, you and I are inundated with preachers and sermons and books and uh, good Christian programs, all of that. But it's overwhelming sometimes. And we need to discern, we need to validate that what is coming to us is true. Just because it is preaching, coming off a pulpit somewhere, or just because it's coming out of a preacher's mouth somewhere, doesn't necessarily make it true. You've got to validate it. So now it becomes the responsibility of the hearer to validate what you're hearing. You've got so many sources of teaching and preaching and ministry coming at you. A great example is that of the believers in Berea. You find them in Acts 17, chapter verses 10 to 12. It says, Paul and Silas, talks about Paul and Silas. It says, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness and what do they do? Say it out loud. And search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now imagine Paul and Silas, Paul could have said, hey, everything I'm saying is absolutely true. Just close your eyes, close your books, listen to me. <laughs> he could have said that, but he didn't. He preached these disciples, these believers, they searched the scriptures. They turned the pages. They checked out if whether Paul, what Paul and Silas were saying was indeed true. And then they believed. Then they believed. So I want to encourage you and I. You know, in a day and age when there is so much available to us. And that's good. Books, internet, mp3 sermons. All, all of it is good, but we also, along with that comes a responsibility on us now to validate it. Is it right? Is it the truth? Is it the correct interpretation of what we are reading? And so it necessitates that you and I become students of the Word of God. And fourthly, the last reason that I want to talk about is to help others understand 
receive and apply God's word. See, when you become a student of the word, when you are studying the word, you're walking in it, you're living it, then it immediately puts you in a position where you can now teach others, tell others about the word. And so many people need to understand the word of God. So many people need to know the word of God. They need to be able to taught and need to have it explained to them. Here's a classic example in Acts chapter 8 verses 27 to 31. Um, here's a man, an Ethiopian man, who's a highly educated man. He's, he's in charge of the financial affairs of the queen of Ethiopia. So he has to be a man of some status and learning. He's not just an ordinary man. Now he happened to buy, and those is a very expensive copy of the book of Isaiah. And I mean, he had money to buy it through his own personal scroll. It's very expensive. So he went and he buys his own copy of the book of Isaiah. Now he's in Isaiah 53 and he's reading it. The Holy Spirit sends Philip to this man. And Philip joins his chariot and says, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Is what Philip asks him in verse 30. And this man replies, verse 31, how can I, unless someone guides me? I mean, he's a highly educated man. But he has no frame of reference for the scriptures. I mean, he's never been exposed to it. So he himself is finding it difficult to understand what he's reading. So he says, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? So you and I, we interact with many good people, highly educated people. But when you give them a Bible, they may not necessarily understand it because they have no frame of reference. They've never grown up in church. We may be exposed to many of the things you and I are exposed to. So, many of them have a need that somebody guides them through and leads them into an understanding of the Scriptures. So that's why you and I must equip ourselves so that when we have those opportunities, we'll be ready to explain. Hey, this is what it means. It's talking about Jesus. Here's how it all happens. Explain them. So when we study the word, we are positioning ourselves to help others. Um, two men, Nehemiah and Ezra in the Old Testament, have been used by God, were used by God specifically for this. If you remember Old Testament history, the Jewish people were taken captives for 70 years by the king of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had come, invaded. They were there captives for 70 years. At the end of those 70 years, by the time the world powers had shifted, they'd gone over from the Babylonians, the Persians were now the world powers. And they let the Jewish people go back. So the first movement of uh, the remnant people from Babylon back to Jerusalem took place uh, under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. You read about in the book of Zechariah. So he comes back, he brings the remnant of the Jewish people back into Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple. 60 years elapsed, and that's the time of Queen Esther. She's the, you read about Esther in her book. Uh, she's queen. She saves her people, rescues her people, preserves her people. 60 years elapsed. After that comes Nehemiah and Ezra. So Nehemiah now comes in to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He comes in on that assignment. Once he's done, the walls were rebuilt very quickly. Within 60 days, the wall, less than 60 days, the walls were rebuilt. The walls of the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. Uh, and after that comes the major task of restoring the people in their spiritual faith. Because they've been away in Babylon, um, 
and they've embraced the practices and they're doing all the wrong things. And many of them are unwilling to come back to Jerusalem. Actually, it was only a, ha- a remnant, of maybe like 2,000 people who moved back to Jerusalem. Uh, so just a small remnant of people back there. But now the major task of ge- restoring them in the faith. God uses Nehemiah, but more importantly is a man called Ezra. Look at some scriptures concerning them. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8 says, this is after the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. It says, they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So not only did they read from the word, but what did they do? They gave the sense. They helped say, this is what it means. They helped them understand the reading because the people were so out of touch with the word, with the scriptures. So it's important to help people understand. Ezra was a remarkable man because during that time of captivity, in silence, he studied the law. And he's responsible actually for keeping the Old Testament scriptures and preserving them for us today. So in the time of captivity, Ezra preserved the Old Testament scriptures. He studied the Old Testament scriptures. And can you imagine, maybe for 50 years, and I don't know how many years exactly, 40, 50 years. While in captivity, he was just studying the word. I mean, there were no churches to go and preach. There was no God television, to, no books to write. He couldn't put up his sermons online, nothing. He was just studying the word. But then God picked him up. And God used Ezra not only to preserve the Old Testament scriptures for you and me today, but God used him to come back along with Nehemiah back to Jerusalem and teach the people the word of God to restore a nation back to its spiritual roots. And the Bible tells us about Ezra. In Ezra 7, 10 and 11 it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Meaning he had committed himself to studying the law of the Lord. Why did God use him? Because he had spent so many years in studying the law of God. It wasn't by accident. He prepared himself to study the law of the Lord and to do it. Meaning he was decided, I'm going to do this. And to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. Verse 11 says, Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes of Israel. How did he become an expert? Because he had spent time studying it. Amen? So I want to challenge you and I. You know, it's so important for us to study the word so that God can use us to help other people. So, how do we study the word? Now we're moving to some practical things I want to present to you and me. Things you can take back and begin to use in everyday life. How do we study the word of God? There are different ways to study the word. Uh, Here are about five of them, five common ways to study the word of God. One, there is the passage study. That means you can pick a little passage and say, I'm going to really examine this passage. It might be a chapter like Psalm 23 or Psalm 91. Or it might be a part of a chapter or it might be a couple of chapters together. Whatever, you pick that passage you're saying, I'm going to study that in depth. I want to uh, understand it thoroughly. I want to get its meaning. We could also do a book study, which means you take a particular book of the Bible and you study that book. You find out who wrote it, when was it written, what was the historical setting in which it was written, to whom was it written, why was it written, 
And then you begin to look into the book. You read the book over and over again several times to break it down and say what are the key points, what, are the main, what is the main message in this book. So you do a book study. And I encourage you to start with a very small book. You I mean, don't go after the service and pick the book of Revelation. You, know? I mean, like you might get dis- <laughs> be very discouraging. Now pick a very small book, maybe the first epistle of John or one of Paul's epistles, you know, Colossians or Philippians or pick something that's easy. Now don't go pick the book of Isaiah, 60 chapters, you know, I'm going to study this book. I mean, that's a good desire, but start small. So pick a simple book that you can study and look at this entire, the context of the book, study it. We can also do a word study. And I do many of these. A word study. You pick a word like grace or love or uh, faith. Pick a word. And you find all the references in the Bible where this word occurs. And you go and look, up, look them up. Read those verses. Read those verses. And you get a full picture concerning that word. So you do a word study of the Bible. And uh, these days, we've got lots of tools that can help us do that very quickly. We'll mention some of them a little later. Uh, I, you know, in the click of a button, you can pick out all the 200 references in the Bible where this word occurs. And you can quickly go through them, look, look them up, study them, examine them. We can also do a topical study, which means it's very similar to a word study. But you pick a topic like family, money, authority, healing. Pick a subject. And then you look up all the passages in the Bible related to this subject. And you study them. You would have noticed that much of the preaching that comes from the pulpit here is topical in nature. Right? We pick a topic and we try to be, uh, you know, be very comprehensive in our dealing with that subject. Meaning, go look at the topic as given from Genesis to Revelation to get a clear understanding. And for me, I think that's very important that... That when I speak on a subject, I like to know what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation on that subject. It gives me confidence that what I'm saying is in line, in in agreement with the totality of Scripture. Rather than just, you know, I picked up three passages on this topic and I'm preaching off it. It's very risky because there may be other passages that that, that shed more information. And then therefore we need to adjust what we're saying in the light of all of that. So when you're studying a topic, it's very important to cover the topic from... Cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation. Study that topic. And it gives you authority to, you know, to, to speak on that subject because you've looked it up uh, through the entirety of Scripture. The fifth one is a character study where you pick a person in the Bible. You know, you could pick Abraham or David or Joseph or anybody in the Bible. Pick a character and you say, okay, I'm going to study everything the Bible says about this person. Many times he, he, a reference to him might be in a certain book. Sometimes there will be several books in the Bible that talk about the same character. You go back, you look at all of those references, study everything about his life. How did he come to know God? How did he walk with God? What were his strengths? What were his weaknesses? What are the mistakes he made? How did God deal with him in his life? What lessons can I learn? What can I apply today from his life? And that's very useful so that we learn how God deals with people As as they journey with him. So here are five ways that we can study the word. Are you all with me so far? Yes? So we can use any one of these, and and, at different points in time, you choose uh, different things. I like to do character studies, um, but you might notice that not too much of our preaching is on character, 
right, on, on a particular character. In the Bible, slowly we'll change to that. I've been thinking many times, you know, let's do a book study in the church and all that. Um, and so we'll kind of explore all of these things as we go along. Maybe say, you know, we'll study the book of Colossians. or study one of the Old Testament books. Study it all together in church. We'll do that uh, possibly sometime. Now, when you're studying the Word, here are five basic steps that you must use. Now, uh, there is what is known as an inductive method of studying the Bible, which is well-known worldwide. It's, an in, it's called inductive method. Uh, they offer three steps. It's a, a three-step model for Bible study. Uh, we've just added two more steps to it and made it five. So just an expansion of the inductive method of Bible study. And I'll just mention that to us here. So what are those five steps that you use when you study? It doesn't matter what form of studying you're going to use. What do you do? What are some steps that you use? Number one, observation, interpretation, application, journaling, and reflection. Let's say together, observation, interpretation, application, journaling, and reflection. So the first three are actually part of the inductive method. So the inductive Bible study method will tell you observation, interpretation, application. Are we through in another two? Journaling and reflection. So when you're studying either a passage, a book, um, um, a topic or a word or a character, you employ these five steps. So first is basically observation. What does it say? Who wrote it? When was it? What, when was it written? What is the content? What was the culture of the people? Where, why, how? So you ask these basic questions. Meaning, you're looking into the context of that passage. You know, many, uh, you and I understand in English, in our communication, that everything has to be understood in its context. Right? Somebody sends you an email in response to sending you a reply. That reply has to be understood in the context of your previous email and the context of your interactions with that person. You can't just take it out and read it in isolation. It's, it's in a context. Same way, everything in the Bible is in a context. It's been written there by somebody, to somebody, for somebody, in a given setting, uh, in a, at a certain time in history, uh, uh, while certain things were happening in the environment. So that's observation. What does it say? What's the context? The next is very important, very, very important. Next step is, what's it? Interpretation. Meaning now I'm going to elicit the meaning of that passage. And that's very important. Next Sunday we're going to spend the entire service on talking about how to interpret scripture. Right? What are the rules, what are the guidelines on interpreting scripture? But let's just kind of mention a few thoughts here on interpretation. So when you're interpreting scripture you need to depend on the Holy Spirit because he's the original author. But you also need to use sound judgment and, 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 and reason. Right? Don't leave that up. Some people say, you know, the Holy Spirit told me. And they come up with some of the weirdest sermons you heard. You know, it's really off the wall. It doesn't line up with scripture. But they say, the Holy Spirit told me. So, man, it had to be some other spirit, not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they are very genuine. They're very sincere. But they, they're just off. Right? So, 
It's important that we depend on the Holy Spirit, but we must use our judgment and reason as we come to Scripture. Next time we'll talk about this, how do we balance the two in interpreting Scripture. Um, you know, if I interpret Scripture incorrectly, and I've already said this earlier, if I interpret Scripture incorrectly, it will lead to an incorrect application of that Scripture, and then I'm going to end up in trouble. And I cannot blame God for it. So God, I read your book and look what it did to me. No. His book was right. My interpretation of it was wrong. And therefore my application of it resulted in some problems. I can't blame the author for it. That's why most books have disclaimers. You know? <laughs> Information in this book. You know, is we disclaim. Complete disclaimer after you write the book on tell, telling you, you know, what, how do you manage your business or how do you manage your money or whatever. There's a disclaimer there, you know. Because you could interpret it anyway and end up in trouble. So interpretation is very important. Here are some imp interesting things. You know, Martin Luther said this. He said, uh, uh, just to highlight, he said, obscure passages must be understood in the light of more clear passages. If you're reading a passage that's, that's not very clear, Take it and put it alongside passages that are very clear on the subject and interpret it based on what is very clear. And then he also said, Scripture is its own interpreter. Scripture must be interpreted alongside or along with other Scripture. Scripture must interpret Scripture. So rather than taking one passage off in isolation and trying to come up with a meaning, no, what does the whole Scripture say on this subject? John Calvin said this, it is said, it is the first business of an interpreter to let his author say what he does say instead of attributing to him what we think he ought to say. The problem with much of modern day church is we attribute to the author what we think he ought to say and we come up our, with our sermons that way. So dangerous. No, no, no. Say what the author says. Amen? That's how we correctly interpret scripture. Then, once you've done your interpretation, we'll talk in depth on this next Sunday. Then there is application. How does it apply to me? What is God saying to me through this passage? What are areas I must change in my life in the light of what I'm learning from the word of God? Application is so important. That's the end purpose of it, right? If you if you don't, if you just do the observation and interpretation, you've ended up with a lot of information, but it hasn't changed your life. So, application is important. What should I do now? This is what God is saying in his word. How do I need to change? And you begin to apply that. Now, if you did only these three, you'll be doing the inductive method. and That's good. It's used worldwide. But I want to add these two things. Journaling is very important. Journaling simply means you write down your own spontaneous thoughts. Things that you feel God is speaking to you, for you at that moment. Write it down. I used to write things in a notebook. Nowadays, you just type it in to a Word document. So you can do however you want to do it. It doesn't matter. And journaling does not necessarily mean you write long, lengthy paragraphs. Sometimes it could just be one line. But you're recording a very important truth that God is speaking to your heart. It's important. Just write that point down. This is what God is saying to me. Write it down. Journaling is so important. Um, it's spontaneous. It's what God is speaking to you. It's not copying Pastor Ash's sermon. <laughs> no, it's God speaking to you. 
So it's very important. This is what God is telling me. You write it down because maybe five years later you come back to it and say, hey, this is what God has done. This is what God spoke to me. He told me this. And look what's happened over time. Right? So write it down. Whether it's a line, a couple of lines, just write down what you're learning from that passage. And the last point is very, again, very important. It is reflection or meditation. Meaning now, you've learned something from the word. You go out into everyday life. You apply it. And then you begin to reflect on it in the context, in, in the context of your, what's happening in your life. For example, you're studying Matthew 5 and Jesus says, Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hurt you. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. So you've done all of that observation, the interpretation, the application. Uh, you've journaled it. And you're in a situation right now where your colleague or your college mate has been very rude to you. Very nice. I mean, not nice in the sense of what's happening. But here is your opportunity to apply that word. Oh, God has been telling me, I must bless those who hurt me. I must pray for those who despitefully me. I must forgive them. She says, okay, God, you're speaking to me. I'm going to do this. So you go up to this person and say, hey, you know, uh, never mind what you're doing. And I'm, I'm just not going to hold this against you. I forgive you. And then they retaliate. What do you mean forgive me? How dare you think you save your God? You think you're going to forgive me? And they retaliate. Like, whoa, wait a minute. So you go back to God and say, God, something's wrong here. <laughs> you told me to forgive. I forgave, but they fired back. What do I do now? See, this is reflection, meaning you're taking the word. Into a real life situation, you're applying it, you're looking at the outcome. Now you're sitting down and you're saying, okay, so this is what has happened. What does it all mean? You're putting it all together. And reflection is important because you're learning how to apply the word of God in everyday life. And the outcomes could be different. So in this particular case, that person retaliated. And was very angry that you said, I'm not, gonna, you know, I'm, holding this, I'm not holding this against you. I'm forgiving you, whatever. They retaliated. And so you're like, what do I do? And then you come upon this place where Jesus said, if anyone smites you, one chick turn the other. Ooh, okay. Now it's all making sense. All right, Lord, I'll do that. And you journal it in your book. But this is reflection. You are taking the word, putting it into everyday life, and you're looking at the outcome, you're going back and you're just trying to piece it all together, learning how to live the word of God in every day. See, this is something you cannot get from a sermon. I mean, yes, you can learn from examples and so on. But that's something you have to do for yourself. Because you're the one going through that situation. You're the one who's facing that situation in life. And you're taking God's word in your heart into that situation, you're, you're facing those outcomes, whatever, and you're learning, you're reflecting on it. And you're saying, okay, so this is what I must do. Down the road, if you face the same situation, you know, hey, you can go back. I've faced a similar situation. I did this. This is what happened. I, I know how to process the word. I know how to walk in the word of God in my everyday life. So reflection is important. As you do this, the word of God gets into your heart. So, to sum up here, how do I get started? So, here's just five steps that he used as you study the Word. How do you get started? Number one, as you begin, you pick a topic, you pick a subject, you pick a passage, or you pick a book, whatever. You're getting, going to study the Word of God. Number one, you ask for God's guidance. You say, Lord God, 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to study your word on this subject. I want to learn more about this thing. I want to learn more about this person. I want to explore this book in the Bible. Whatever you're going to do, ask for his guidance. Say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. That's Psalm 119, 18. You're saying, God, God, open my eyes. I want to see wonderful things. Isaiah 66 in verse 2 says, God is close to those who tremble at his words. Tremble, meaning you, you're standing in awe of that word. God's saying, I will have respect for such a person. So when you sit down there, you're saying, God, I'm in awe of your word. I want to study it. I want to learn it. You know, God has respect towards you. He draws close to you in those moments when you stand in awe of his word. And uh, uh, Luke 24, verse 45 says that the Lord opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So you pray and say, God, open my understanding that I might comprehend the scripture. So you pray and ask God for God's guidance. Then you read and you reread. Sometimes this can go on for days. It doesn't matter. Don't be in a hurry. You're studying a certain passage. Keep reading it over and over again. You may take two, three days just to read the passage over and over again. They're doing uh, all that we said. Uh, number three, as you're reading, mark your Bible. Underline it. Color it. Circle it. You know, I, I got a new Bible. So I'm a little embarrassed about it because it's not all colored up, you know. <laughs> so when people look at it, man, this pastor doesn't read his Bible. You know? <laughs> I do read, uh, but because it's new, it's not colored up. All the others are all colored up. But anyway, the point is this. Uh, when you read your Bible, color it, mark it, underline key words. This is an important thing that God is saying. So mark your Bible. Uh, uh, highlight it. Number four, use these five basic steps we talked about. Uh, observation, interpretation, application. Journaling, you're taking time, write it down, reflect on it, whatever you're learning, reflect on it. Now, this is going to take you weeks, it's going to take you some months, so don't be in a hurry that you finish off a passage in a, in a day or two or, it's, or just in a, uh, you know, or finish a topic in a couple of days. It's going to take you time and you're going to keep coming back to the subject, but so give yourself time to do this. Number five, as we have mentioned earlier, is to consider all the scriptures on the subject. Consider all the scriptures on the subject. You know, in Luke 24, verse 27, interesting verse. About Jesus himself, when he is talking about himself after his resurrection, the Bible says, starting off at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Man, he didn't pick, hey, here, here are two verses, enough for you, man. They tell, me, they tell you about me. No. He started with Moses, all the prophets, picked out all the scriptures, and he told them, look, all these scriptures are talking about me. So it's important. Consider all the scriptures on that subject, on that topic. And number six is use Bible tools for interpretation. Pay attention here, please. Uh, this is very important. Here. Use tools to study the word of God. And I have a list many tools here. The first is to have a good study Bible. A study Bible has notes along with it uh, so that it helps you understand the passage. It quickly gives you the historical, the cultural, other things about the book and the chapter and so on. One of the study Bibles that I would recommend is the Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible by Jack Hayford. He's the editor, of course, and many others who contributed to it. I like it because it's spiritual. It comes from the line uh, of... of uh, of our spiritual persuasion, the Spiritful Life Bible. Uh, many well-known 
charismatic Bible teachers, others are uh, uh, contributed to that Bible. They also have built-in word study and commentaries and a concordance. So a lot of it is already put together for you. It's a good study Bible to have. Is there something I recommend? You can pick anything that you like. Secondly, and a very important tool, very good tool, which is freely available, is eSword. Some of you may be already using it. Uh, you can download it freely from eSword.net. Uh, you can get it for your laptop. You can even put it on your handheld. And uh, a lot of good things in it. You can do very quickly word searches. Search for phrases. You get many versions of the Bible for free. Uh, it comes along with a strong concordance. You can buy some add-ons. You can buy the NIV version as an add-on. You can buy the Wines Dictionary as an add-on. But so much of it for free. A lot of commentaries uh, for free. So download it, please use it. You know, comparing to how I used to study the Word, maybe 15 years ago, I bought this big, big book called Strong's Concordance. Heavy book. You had to carry it place to place. Had to turn with it. Manually go through it. It's such fine print. Manually go through each verse. Look it up in the Bible. That was how hard it was. Today, power up your laptop. Launch eSword. Type a word. Press a button. It's all there for you. I mean, it's so easy. So easy, really. So, use that. Um, along with any sword, you have Strong's Concordance. Those days, you had to buy a Bible, you had to buy a separate Strong's Concordance, you had to buy a separate dictionary, you had to buy a separate commentary. Now, everything's all packaged in one piece of software. Just imagine that. So, it comes along with Strong's Concordance. Basically, Strong's Concordance gives you the Hebrew and the Greek word for every English word in the Bible that you have. You put your mouse over it or you click on it, you can see the actual meaning, the original meaning, it gives you the Hebrew word, the Greek word, and the meaning for it. So use this concordance because you can always go back to the root word. What was the original meaning of that word? So that you can understand it correctly. Then you use a dictionary. Wine's dictionary is one of the best dictionaries that you could have. Uh, it, you can buy it, buy it for eSort, install it there along with, as an add-on, or you can buy the physical dictionary. Uh, the dictionary basically gives you additional meaning for that same word. It'll give you the background, it'll give you the noun, the verb. It helps you understand the context in which that word was often used or how long was it used, what was the original meaning of it, or what are the variations in which it is used. So Wine's Dictionary helps you understand that, all of that. Then get some commentaries. Now, commentaries are good and bad. They're good because a lot of people have done their homework for you. You get a lot of these commentaries for free from eSword. And uh, they'll give you the cultural background. They'll give you the historical background. They'll tell you when these things happened. And uh, the history and the culture. So you begin to immediately place it all in the, con in the original context. What's bad about the commentaries is that, you know, they also express their own views and opinions. And that's what you need to kind of, okay, keep it aside. Nice to know that's what you think. I'll leave it there. Right? But get, the commentaries are useful as far as understanding history, understanding culture, understanding timelines. All of that is very important that you get off of commentaries. And there are many free commentaries available through esor.net. And lastly, is a parallel Bible. Again, I remember you used to have to buy four different Bibles if you wanted to compare them. You know, I used to keep the King James, the NIV, uh, Amplified. In other words, I had to physically open up each, bi each Bible, go to each verse and read. Now, you don't even have to do that. You can download so many different versions, all in e -sort. You click a verse, look at the, click the tab that says parallel, 
And you can read all the versions of that same verse. Don't have to turn anything. Right? It's so useful. Now it's useful to look at uh, parallel versions of that same verse because you get to understand all of the dimensions, all of the variations of that word and the meaning in which it has been translated. So it's good to look at a verse of scripture in different versions of the Bible. And that's what a parallel Bible will help you do. So use all these tools to study the word. Nowadays, it's, so, it's all freely available, so easy. There is no reason why you and I should not be studying the word of God. Amen? And last point, the reason we study the word is to obey God's way. Right? It's not just to accumulate information so that you can preach sermons. No, no. You study the word so that you obey it. You go and apply it in our lives. All revelation is to empower us to obedience. Okay, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. One last point here. People ask, you know, what about different versions of the Bible? And I just want to bring this to your attention. I'm not uh, necessarily uh, enforcing a particular version of the Bible. You feel free to use uh, whatever you want. But just keep these, uh, these important differences in mind. Broadly speaking, there are three categories of versions of the Bible. There is one which is the literal, there are some which are literal editions of the Bible. All right? Meaning it's a literal translation. The, new, the King James Version, the New King James Version, and the New American Standard Bible are literal editions, literal translations of the Bible. Then there are the meaning-to-meaning -meaning translations. Meaning, what was the meaning of the word in their time? What is the meaning of that word in our time that we can understand? And we translate meaning-to-meaning. -meaning. Some versions of the Bible, like the NIV, the Revised English Bible, the Good News Bible, Jerusalem Bible, they fall in this category. And then there are the paraphrased versions, meaning this is what they said. This is how we would have said it in our day. So here it is. Enjoy reading. So the paraphrased versions are light. They make it easy reading. So the Living Bible, the Message Bible fall under that category. And each of them have their pros and cons. If you want to do a real serious study, I would recommend a literal edition of the Bible. Because there you know, you have a word for word meaning that the translators have attempted to stay as close to the original word as possible. So the New King James, the New American Standard Bible fall in that category. A meaning to meaning version of the Bible is good, but there is possibility that Sometimes the way it's interpreted in our language may not necessarily be what was original. So keep this in mind. You pick your Bible that you feel free. If you ask me, I'll tell you, use the NKJV, New King James, but you're free to do what you want. Amen? I'm going to take a few moments just to thank God for His Word. Would you just respond to the call this morning and say, God, I personally want to study your Word. I want to do it, make it my responsibility to study the Word. I know we are all busy people. We've got our responsibilities. We're busy. But I think we also have tools that make things really easy for us today. Tools that we, sh we can use and that will help us very quickly study God's words. I know we are in a busy world. I think we can leverage these tools and really be students of the Word. You could be studying the Word when you're traveling, when you're waiting somewhere. 
so much has been given to us. Loving Father, we just pray that you'll help each one of us here. Be students of your word. To really be serious about digging into your word and learning from it. Applying it and blessing others with it. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to empower each one to study the Word. Give us love for your words. Like the psalmist said, your word is like honey. It's sweet. It's something we delight in. Your word is more precious than gold. It's more valuable than silver. It's more pure than silver. Help us to stand in awe of your holy word, O God. Give us the grace to study your word. anyone here this morning and perhaps you're new to all of this and you're saying I came to church I just want to know Jesus I just want the Lord Jesus to touch my life in some special way I want to pray with you this morning and just help you as you make your decision to invite Jesus to touch your heart, to touch your life in your point of need, in your area of need, he'll do it. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You could pray a simple prayer in your own heart and just say, Lord Jesus, come touch my life. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Clean me up and change me. Help me to learn who you are and follow you, O oh God. Come, Lord Jesus, touch my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Father, even as we continue together as a church family, begin to study your word and search the scriptures, may our eyes be set on you. May our hearts be drawn closer and closer to you, O oh God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.